Alabaster Jar listeners. This is Lynn Kohick, your host, and I'm joined today by Serene Musselman, who will be hopping on in a minute, and also Tracy Bianchi, who will also be hopping on in a minute. But I wanted to set up this conversation. It's going to be about Advent. And actually, after this episode, we'll have three more women who will talk about their experiences of Christmas and Advent. We'll talk with Amanda from Nigeria. We'll talk with Miriam from Ireland, and we'll talk with Merto from Greece. And so we'll get a flavor of Christmas around the world. But to understand Christmas in the liturgical calendar, we need to first talk about Advent. And so for that, I've invited back Tracy Bianchi, someone who's come on this podcast many times. One of the last times, Tracy, we talked about false eyelashes, I think. I, you know, and I... We're not going to go there, I hope, today, but but I do want to talk about what is a wonderful liturgical season of the church, which is Advent. But I confess to you, growing up, I had no idea what Advent, what Advent was. So why don't you fill us in first with what Advent is, and then we can talk more about it. Yeah, thank you, Lynn. Thanks for having me. It, I love talking about Advent, but it is sort of this unusual word. Even folks who've spent their entire life perhaps growing up in a tradition in the church may not know what this liturgical word is. Maybe they know it because Trader Joe's has Advent calendars with chocolates in them. Oh, I did (laughs) not know that. that. That's good. That's good. Yeah, they do. They do. But, you know, there there seems to be this uh, a shrinking awareness of what the season of Advent is. And in in the Protestant traditions, Advent is the beginning of the the liturgical year. It's the beginning of the church calendar. And it is the season that we prepare for Christmas. And so simply put, it is the four Sundays coming into Christmas. And so in churches that mark liturgical traditions and the liturgical calendar, the four Sundays before Christmas will be celebrated by the reading of certain scriptures, often the lighting of candles, and a commentary, a conversation about what Advent actually means, which is a season of waiting, waiting for the Advent of Jesus and the birth of the Christ child. So that is a very 30,000-foot overview (laughs) of what Advent is. Yeah, yeah, this idea of waiting. Can you, because I I get that, like kids anticipating presents under the Christmas tree. That's not really the waiting that you're talking about. But so what is this kind of holy waiting that that we're called to do? Yeah, you know, it's it's this multi-layered waiting that we do. You know, we stand in the tradition of those who waited for thousands of years for the arrival of Jesus in that first nativity, in that first Christmas, the the story that led up to that was this, this sort of epic waiting of human history. And that waiting was met in the Christ child, in, in the birth of Jesus. And then as we know as Christians, you know, we walk through a salvation history and the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And now here we are on the other side of that story, waiting again. When when Christ said, I will return, I will come back, I will, I will be back one day, right? Well, so we're waiting for that day. So we're waiting now on this side 
of that part of history for Christ to return. So we stand in solidarity with those who waited for that first Christmas. And then we sort of wait these 25 days <laughs> or whatever it might be, these four, four Sundays. But it marks the, the waiting of all of human history for the ultimate you know, redemption of humankind when Christ returns. When you, when you think about waiting, what are some of the spiritual um, practices that you find really helpful in this Advent season as we think about waiting? Yeah, most of us are not good at waiting. You know, I think that if you took a poll and said, hey, how many of you feel like waiting for something? Most people would say no. And I think perhaps more than other cultures, I think the dominant culture in the United States doesn't wait for anything. You know, I, I watched my, I have three teenagers, you know, they get cranky when, you know, a text doesn't pop up quick enough or their phone doesn't refresh fast enough. You know, they can't wait five seconds. And, and, and I point at them, but I also fall into that same trap as well. Why isn't it happening now? Why isn't what I want happening now? And so Advent is this uh, season to kind of slam the brakes on <laughs> of that and, and intentionally take a posture that says, I'm going to slow down. I'm going to, you know, some practices people do at this time of year is they build in extra margin into their calendars, extra space. Maybe it's even extra space around their meetings or whatever it is, but extra space at the table, extra time with people who are significant in your life. I know folks who take Sabbath days throughout Advent that look different than perhaps other days of the year in this season of consumption and spending and shipping and Amazon and everything else. You know, they they might have a day or a week or a moment where they they don't consume anything. There, there's no online shopping. There's no nothing. You know, don't spend money, and you know, just taking the the time to breathe. Which I think, again, as 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 Americans, this is hard to do anyway. Let alone and the season of, of commercialized Christmas, which literally starts the, the night of Halloween. <laughs> yeah. And so how do you resist that? How do you resist that drive, that impulse, that speed? And how do you pause? One last thought there too is, you know, there are so many lectionary verses and so many great scriptures that are set aside from Isaiah and from, you know, scriptures that prophesy the coming of Christ and capture that feeling of waiting. And so to read those and to sort of resist the consumer culture is, is some of the practice that, that people can do at this time. Yeah. You mentioned music and I think of Handel's Messiah. It's one at times we've tried to see a live performance of that. And I, I recall we live in Chicago, so there's some wonderful opportunities for fantastic choirs and and symphonies. And but we went to one and the we kept hearing something like right behind us that sounded, well, that, well, <laughs> it turns out the person sitting behind us thought they had come to a sing-along. And so <laughs> it was pretty, a little embarrassing. We, we enjoyed the second half a little bit more because they figured out that it wasn't actually a sing-along. But I, I do sing-alongs only in the privacy of my own home, right? Because I carry tunes in a bucket and that's about it. But but the music around this time, maybe one way, it's, it, I think it's kind of my way to slow down, to, to have the Christmas, the old Christmas hymns and Handel's Messiah playing, reminding us of the joy of the, of the season. You know, sometimes, though, in these joyous seasons, there's also 
a feeling of want, a feeling of sorrow and mourning. So how do we, we're waiting and there's an expectation which is produces holiness in us, perseverance, which is definitely a good quality to have, one I don't naturally <laughs> show. But what about the other side of Advent that, that, that brings up sorrowful moments? How, how do we manage those? Yeah, that, that's a great question. And, and actually even tying it back to the commentary on music that you just made, one of the most provocative and, and sort of haunting memories I have of Advent, which I know that's a weird way to, to put it, but was this version, this rendition of O Come Emmanuel, which was done in sort of this soft, um, again, use the word haunting minor key. And just, it broke open my heart. It was one of those moments of worship where you just felt it in the room. You knew that we were experiencing something profound and deep because really what we are waiting for in so many ways as human beings is the end of our sorrow and suffering. And so every person who shows up humming jingle bells or whatever it might be, we have great sorrow, great trauma, and maybe even if anybody has somehow managed to slip through life without experiencing that, we share the collective trauma of being human beings and sharing this war-torn, anxiety-filled, terrorizing at times life here on planet Earth. And so while we strike a celebratory tone during this season, we are awaiting the birth of a baby. There is <laughs> there is joy in that. There are gifts and 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 wise men and whatnot, but you know, we are, we are waiting for the end of our suffering, the end of our fear, the end of our tears, the end of the angst and the worry, and the collective trauma that comes from being human beings together. Tracy, as you were sharing, there's another classic song that was coming to mind that I think is a Christmas favorite for a lot of people, and it's Oh Holy Night. And I was thinking of those lyrics as well, of this idea that the world is laying in wait and pining until the Savior appears. And then there's this thrill of hope. And then the weary world rejoices. There's this sense of longing and waiting. And I can't help but think that some of these classics that become our favorites, there's something to do with what you're saying right now, that somewhere in our heart and our souls, we also feel this sense of longing. And these songs are capturing that shared experience of, of what it means to be human and to have a sense of longing. And you, you have been a worship leader. You're a worship leader in your ministry journey, right? So I'd be curious to hear, like, even just what role does music play in this? Even as we talk about Advents, many of us have memories of favorite songs that are associated with Christmas. But what role does music play in our own connection to the meaning of Advent? Yeah, that's a great question. I wish I was a worship leader that actually sang. I was, a, I, I, it's, I find myself, I, I spent a lot of years in a very funny role in that I did serve and direct all of our creative arts, worship arts. I planned our liturgies. I worked with all of our worship leaders. I helped pick the music, but I can't carry a tune to save my life. I'm a, <laughs> I come to it as a preacher, but we would pick, we would sit, you know, and it was interesting because we would have all these debates about what order we were allowed to sing our Christmas music in. You know, I had, a, I had a young worship leader one year who wanted to start out Advent by singing Joy to the World. And I was like, no, 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 there's no joy to the world yet. The Lord has not come. We are still waiting. And so 
there's this interesting practice that worship leaders should follow. And that is look at the history and the tradition of the music that you sing. Look at the lyrics and figure out what order you should unfold it in. And what should your people be singing when? What songs are about, like you pointed out so wisely, Serene, are about waiting and about that anticipation and longing? And what stories celebrate the end of that arrival in Christ's birth? And so how do you get those lyrics right? How do you get the music right? And I have a caution too that some people might challenge me on and I'd be willing to give this idea up, but I am a curmudgeon when it comes to new versions of old songs. <laughs> don't add, don't add lyrics. <laughs> don't, you know, I mean, I think we can mix them up and do other things to them, but there's something sacred about standing in a tradition that is centuries old. You know, do a different rhythm or change it, you know, change the musicality of it, but sing the words, join with the saints throughout the ages who have who've lit their candles in their churches all over the world singing these same words. Teach your congregation the history of the church. This is a great season to do that. We can have new stuff all year long if we want, but this is a great season to teach history through music. I see that reflected even in the rhythms when Lynn asked you the question of the practices that we can have personally, as you were describing that building of the songs and what the words reflect. That could reflect in our own practices as well, right? Of uh, Throughout the month as we practice Advent and pre- preparation for what, this, what we're celebrating, what's to come, there is a sense of order to that and right rhythms that we can practice in our lives that commercialism and busyness and all of those things you named earlier can sort of upend the order of those rhythms. And so I, I love just the theme that's showing up here, even as we talk about practices in our own lives and how music and these songs that we sing can even reflect that. So, yeah, it's great. When you when you have worked with families in your church, Tracy, have there been certain exercises or practices that you've encouraged families to do to try and pull away from the commercialism and not even Yes, the commercialism for sure, but you also touched on the busyness. And I mean, it just seems like I go nonstop in December, like just nonstop and with fun stuff. But what would be some of the practice you might even offer for families that could help us really enter into the season? Yeah, you know, we we always would encourage our families at church to bring the practice of candle lighting home. And, you know, for for those of us in the Northern Hemisphere, this is the, I mean, it is dark. It's dark at two in the afternoon here, right? <laughs> so we, we have this sort of actual like meteorological season where it's dark. And there's something about a, the light of a candle that, that just slows everything down a little bit. It catches your eye. It calms you. And, you know, in church, we light a candle every week and it you light it, you know, most in most traditions that follow Advent, you light it at the beginning of the candle, you read the or beginning of the service, you read the scripture, and that candle just stays lit and dances. And every week you add to it, and it's like you sit there for a month and watch this, you know, one candle and then two, and there's this anticipation. You're like, come on, when are we gonna light all these candles? And you, you can do that at home. A lot of families will get a small table wreath and they will put 
you know, in the middle of their, their kitchen table and they will take turns as a family reading a scripture before dinner or maybe before going to bed. You know, there are wonderful, you know, Christian stories that you can read to children. You can read them, you know, the, the nativity stories from scripture itself and light a candle and gather little ones around you and send them off to bed with a prayer and a simple lighted candle. The, the trick is, I think, not making it too big of a deal, right? Because the more we add to it, the less we're actually doing what it was supposed to be designed to do. <laughs> so I think that's a great way to, to, to warm things up with a family. Yeah, that, that's a great idea. When I was growing up, you know, we celebrated Christmas. It was a very fun time, but I would say probably my favorite movie and what sort of what Christmas meant to me at that time was the original cartoon, How the Grinch Stole Christmas. And I also had it in a big book, and I think I pretty much memorized it. I still love that movie, but I would say now my favorite story is A Christmas Carol. And we've watched a lot of different versions. I actually love the Muppet version of A Christmas Carol, too. But then the more adult ones, yes. And uh, pretty much every year I watch that movie. Sort of what's the, don't be a miser. Pay attention to people around you and, and enter into that spirit of giving, especially giving love. Do you have any other suggestions on even like movies or... You mentioned the activities of lighting the candles. Any Anything you recall, even growing up, that just brings Christmas home to you? That's a great question. I So interestingly, I did not grow up in a family that was a family of faith. I love my parents, wonderful, you know, mom and dad raised us with some beautiful traditions, but we never went to church, but we did go to church on Christmas Eve. And my dad and mom, even in their very limited understanding of faith, understood there was something sacred about Christmas Eve. Now, this obviously isn't a necessarily an Advent tradition itself, but we actually would go to a local church that did have an Advent tradition leading up to Christmas Eve. And they would light also all throughout the streets around the church, the little luminary bags, the sandbags filled with candles. And I just have this really vivid memory even though I hadn't been taught or told that there was anything sacred, it was the night Santa Claus came and we just happened to go to church, right? But I had this sense that there was something divine and majestic happening. And, you know, we would come home after that and we would watch a Christmas movie together. And, you know, there was, again, no profound moment of teaching, but somehow in that tradition and in that repetition of going to church, it opened, it opened me up as an adult to want to explore faith. Some of why I even was open to exploring faith was because we showed up unknowingly what we were doing to, to church on Christmas Eve. And so with my own family, you know, we, we of course go to church on Christmas Eve. I, I used to organize Christmas Eve, so <laughs> everybody had better be there in the front row. But, you know, I, Christmas just opens us up to repetition, I think. Advent opens us up to repetition in a way that other seasons don't. You know, I don't know in what world you watch a movie that many times throughout your life. But for whatever reason, we will watch. My daughter loves Elf. You know, I, I don't think Will Ferrell had Advent in mind when he made that movie, but good Lord, we watched that like three times a week. <laughs> we have pajamas. We have the whole thing, right? And I think it doesn't have, I guess my point in all of this rambling here is that it doesn't have to be overtly about Advent. Part of Advent is being together. It is anticipation of something magnificent together, even if that's the movie Elf, 
or it's some version of eggnog or a candy cane or whatever it is. We don't have to always reject, you know, every gadget of the season. And sometimes it's just about embracing the right ones, making those traditions ours and using them in a way that opens us up to that sacred majesty that we're waiting for on Christmas Eve. I think something that was coming to mind as you were sharing that, Tracy, is just the power of presence, that what you're describing there and being together is just this ministry of being present with one another, which is really what we celebrate in the incarnation of Christ with us, coming to be among us, God's presence with his people. And so in some ways, what you're describing is us practicing that, being present with one another, living incarnationally through the season of Advent which is something, no matter how busy we are, no matter what our schedule looks like this year, I feel like that's a very tangible thing that we could all take away from this conversation is where can we look for those moments to be present with others and present with God during this season? Yeah, that is so great. Yeah, I would Thank say you. too, Christmas, Christmas, and Serene, to your point, Christmas and Advent open us up to, it, as parents or siblings, it allows us to make certain demands of our people that we might not normal, like, my kids would not normally want to pile on a couch with me and watch a movie. They're all teenagers. But I'm like, we're watching a Christmas movie and everyone's like, I'm in. You know, so to your point, there's there's this sort of incarnational presence that maybe we're even allowed or expected to invite people into at this season that isn't always there. So I think, Serene, that was that was such a good point. And Tracy, thank you so much for sharing all all of this. I love your phrase, sacred majesty. That that just there really is that recognition as we're having fun on the couch watching a movie or we're sharing cookies with neighbors, if we're lighting candles, all of those things, there is a sacredness, a holiness to this season in the church as we welcome our Lord Jesus and remember for his birth and look forward to his coming. Yeah. Thank you so much for helping us understand a little bit better what this Advent season is. And Happy Advent. Yes, happy Advent. Thank you, Tracy, for being here. Yeah, happy to be here. Thanks for joining us this week on the Alabaster Jar for the first episode in our Advent series. Be sure to subscribe, share, and join us back here next Tuesday as we continue these conversations about Advent traditions and experiences from around the world.